0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the experts in the law were trying to find some way to put Jesus to death because they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, He went away and spoke with the chief priests and officers of the temple guard about how he could betray Jesus to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. He promised to do it and was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus to them away from the crowd. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Amen. Please be seated. My fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From the day it premiered in 1963, Let's Make a Deal has been one of the most popular television shows, television game shows on TV. I don't know how much you know about Let's Make a Deal. I think I've only seen it once or twice in a dentist's office or someplace like that, but I, I, I understand that the contestants dress up in flamboyant outfits, and then the, the host, the original host was Monty Hall, the current host is Wayne Brady. They, they have a, a prize that, that you can see, and then you're given a choice whether you want to keep that prize or trade it for something you can't see, something hidden behind a curtain or a door or, or underneath a box. And sometimes the, the trade off, if you if you take what you can't see, it's it's really good. It's something much more valuable than what you had. It's a, a car or a boat or a trip somewhere. Other times the what you've traded for is absolutely worthless, and I guess that's known as a zonk. Now, like most of you, I neither have the time nor the desire to watch daytime TV. So if any of that is inaccurate, if you know better, blame Wikipedia. Why do I bring it up? Well, because in our text for this evening, that's basically what Judas said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard. He came to them and said, let's make a deal. It was a deal that was far more significant than Judas could ever have imagined. Now, scholars are pretty well torn in two regarding whether, when this event took place. Some say it it occurred towards the end of the day on Tuesday of Holy Week. Others say it occurred on Wednesday, also known as Silent Wednesday of Holy Week. I guess I would lean more towards Wednesday, but it doesn't really matter. The point is that by this time, the chief priests and the experts in the law are absolutely hell-bent on getting rid of Jesus. They want him dead. Why? Why? Well, for reasons that are pretty common to anyone in power wanting to get rid of their rivals. Jesus was a threat to their power and to their authority. He was a threat to the the power that they held over the people of Israel. Not to mention, he had made them look really, really bad in public on many circumstances throughout his ministry. Maybe the most important reason was that He claimed to be the Messiah, and he didn't behave like what they thought the Messiah should behave like. He didn't care much for their nitpicky rules about the Sabbath day and how to observe it and and how thoroughly you had to wash your hands before you could eat. He didn't buy into their message that was so heavy on law, telling the people, You must be obedient and you must bring proper sacrifices in order to get right with God. No, what Jesus came preaching was a message of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness for sinners. Jesus hung out with all the wrong people, including even tax collectors and prostitutes. But the straw that finally broke the camel's back was Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus did that in Bethany, The Sanhedrin called an emergency meeting, and this is what they said. What are we going to do because this man is doing many miraculous signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And that led to Caiaphas' prophetic words, you know nothing at all. You do not even consider that it is better for us that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. In their minds, Jesus was dangerous. Dangerous not only to them, but dangerous to the nation. He was dangerous because He was so popular. They had been there on Palm Sunday. They had seen the crowds converge on Jesus and praise Him and lay down their cloaks and the, the palm branches and hail Him as the King of Israel. And it was this popularity that had them so terrified. If you know anything about the Roman Empire, it's that the Romans would put up with a lot, but they would not put up with riots or insurrection. They would squash them. In fact, if you know the name Spartacus at all, the slave in Rome, he led a insurrection, a rebellion at one time, and the Romans answered that by crucifying 600 of the insurrectionists. Rome did not put up with insurrection or riots. But it was interesting, ironic almost, that Jesus' very popularity had prevented them from doing anything about it up to this point. They, they weren't willing to have him arrested and killed because they feared that the, the crowds, especially the crowds from the outlying areas of Israel, would rise up in rebellion against them. They were stuck. They knew what they wanted to do, they just couldn't do it. They were too afraid of the crowds. They needed help. They needed some way to carry out their dark and wicked plan in secret, quietly, and discreetly. Once not you know? A dream come true. Judas comes to them and says, let's make a deal. I'll give you Jesus. You give me some money. Satan, as Luke says, had entered into Jesus and led him there either on Tuesday or Wednesday to hatch this terrible plan to turn Jesus over to his enemies. And they wouldn't have to wait long for their plan to come to fruition either. If this was Wednesday, they'd have to wait less than 24 hours. On Monday, Thursday, as Jesus was celebrating his final Passover, as he was instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples, Judas left that upper room and went to alert the chief priests and the temple guard that the final piece of the plan was about to fall into place. Judas was going to lead that heavily armed mob to the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew that Jesus and the other disciples would be worshipping and praying. And in the ultimate act of betrayal, Judas would walk right up to Jesus and identify him to that mob with a kiss. As shameful as all of that was, this wasn't the first time that Judas had betrayed Jesus. There's an instance in John chapter 12 where Jesus and his disciples are eating at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary takes this opportunity to anoint Jesus with an expensive bottle of perfume. Judas feigned outrage. He said, this this perfume could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. John reveals his true motivation. He did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He held the money box and used to steal what was put into it. Long before Judas made this deal with Satan and the chief priests, he had already made a deal with his own conscience. The deal was that he was no longer going to follow Jesus and fear, love, and trust in Him as his Savior, but rather he was going to use his connection to Jesus to satisfy his own greedy desires. Judas is a cautionary tale for us. He is an example of what happens when you coddle sin rather than confess it, when you toy around with it rather than putting it to death in repentance. That sin will just continue to grow. It will mutate like a virus. Judas is a perfect example of what James would later describe. He says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In this case, it meant death for Jesus on a cross, and it meant eternal death in hell for Judas. Judas is not alone. I have betrayed Jesus, and so have you. I have made a deal to turn him over, to turn my back on him, and so have you. How? How? Jesus gives us 168 hours of life every week. How do we use that time of grace that he gives us to serve ourselves, our own desires, or to serve God by serving those around us? Jesus has given us every ounce of our talent, every cent of our money. How do we use that capital? To enrich, to serve ourselves, or to serve God and to serve others? How many times do we justify our sin by our attendance here, by our attendance at Bible class, by our reception of the Lord's Supper saying, you know, it's okay if I sin this once because Jesus will always forgive me on Sunday. How many times do we expect that because we are in a relationship with Jesus, because we do follow Him as our Savior, that our lives here on this earth should be better rather than understanding that Jesus said, you will take up your cross and follow me. And only after this life will you enter into the glory that I have purchased for you. Jesus has given each of us that, that precious treasure of the Gospel. That He died for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. How often don't we just keep it to ourselves, though, rather than communicating that glorious message to our unbelieving family and friends? Anytime. time make that deal in our own heads, in our own hearts, to say, Jesus, something I want is more important than what you want right now. We have betrayed Jesus ourselves. Judas is not alone. This world, this church, this pulpit is full of betrayers. Maybe the most surprising part of this whole story is that God would use this deal orchestrated by Judas and the chief priests to work about, to bring about an even greater payment, a payment that Judas could never have imagined, not a payment of silver coins, but the payment price of Jesus' precious blood and his innocent suffering and death which would pay for the sins of the world. Jesus would never betray us. Jesus would never betray his father's mission. Instead, he would actually be forsaken by his Father on that cross and endure the hell that we deserved. He would offer his life as a ransom for our lives, and then just as he promised three days later, he would take his life up again as the proof that God has now declared us innocent. God doesn't see a single minute, a single instance of betrayal in any of us anymore because Jesus has buried those sins in his tomb never to be seen again. Jesus will never betray us even though we have frequently, daily, hourly betrayed him. And he never will. There will never be a day where Jesus will ever betray us, where he will ever sell us out, when he will ever pretend that he doesn't know us. He's promised that. He's promised, I will be with you Until the end of the age, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Even right now, Jesus is in God's throne room, pleading on our behalf, saying, Father, you must declare them not guilty because because I've paid for their sins. Even now, he is ruling everything in this universe. As crazy as what's going on in our world is right now, Jesus is ruling it all for the good of the church, for our good and one day he will return just as he promised to take us out of this sick sinful fallen world to himself in heaven that is the deal that jesus made with us for us inked by the blood that dripped down from the cross sealed by his resurrection on easter morning delivered to us in word and in sacrament, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. Judas never could have imagined what what came out of this twisted deal that he made with the chief priests and the temple officers. I think if you look at him, he really was both ignorant and overtaken, possessed by the devil himself. Judas probably couldn't think any further than the fact that he was, his, his bags were going to be thirty coins richer. But God used Judas' betrayal to bring about the greatest good that has ever happened. We know what that deal all entailed. Yes, it meant significant help for the chief priests and the experts in the law who couldn't find any other way to get rid of Jesus. Yes, Judas' betrayal reveals the betrayals that we have committed in our own lives. But most importantly, Judas' deal reveals that God was in control of it all, that it fulfilled his plan, that this was how he had planned to save us all along. You might find it entertaining to watch Let's Make a Deal and see people be goofy in their flamboyant outfits and win some prizes, but it is absolutely vital that we understand that this is the most important deal that has ever been made in human history, because this deal between the devil and Judas and the chief priests has brought about our salvation. Thank God for orchestrating this deal. Amen.